This is Jim Duncan with Sweat the Details. This time, Jonathan Keith and I were joined by Janushka Nanekara, the Assistant Vice President of Forecasting and Analysis with the National Association of Home Builders. We had a fantastic and wide-ranging conversation from the economic cycle to the impact of regulations on new construction, employment and employment cycles, women in new construction, and a whole lot more. We hope you enjoy it. And I think we're now at the point where we can start asking you all, if you like this podcast, please rate it wherever you get it. We're recording today from the Charlottesville Area Association of Realtors at their annual development and economic summit. Danushka, thank you so much for joining us today. We're happy to have you with us. Thanks, Keith. I'm happy to be here. Would you uh, kind of tell our listeners just a little bit about what you were speaking of earlier today? We just saw you hop off the stage and would love to just kind of get a quick recap from you on on what you were trying to get across to our, our realtors here. Let me interrupt you real quick because that's what I want to do that's today. That's fine. Yeah. What do you do? I am the uh, associate uh, assistant vice president for forecasting and analysis at the association. So I lead the macro team there, and we are responsible for putting together the forecast, a national forecast at the monthly level, and we put together a state forecast twice a year, and we do all these regional analysis. So that's what my team is responsible for, uh, in a very broad sense. Okay, how how long you been doing that? I've been doing this for two years now. Having fun. I've, Yes, absolutely having fun. That's why I'm still there. <laughs> um, so back to Keith's question, you were just talking about, you know, sort of some more local for the, for the Charlottesville market. We're looking more of a national space. Where are we? Um, right now, we do are in a kind of a slowdown. We've had a really good um, growth in 2018. Economy was strong, mainly because of the boost from the tax reform. Now we are coming to the stage where it's kind of like wrapping up. And we are now at the end of the expansion. So we are kind of seeing the slowdown um, in the next couple of years. So at the very macro level, um, it is kind of normal. It's nothing to be afraid of. The only question is, are we in 98 or 2000? This, we think this, this is a famous last words. It's not going to be like 2008, <laughs> right? We're right. going to mark that down. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. Talk to you in 18 months. Yes. <laughs> But I'm an economist, so don't hold me to that. <laughs> well, I think the, the best part is that in 2008, everybody predicted exactly what would happen and how strongly. So this, this comes with great, uh, great confidence and oh, we're yeah. in good shape. Yeah. If you predict it right, you'll probably get a movie <laughs> with you. As, so yes. That's the good part. I will not get the big shot movie, that's for sure. So, <laughs> so you say we're, we're slowing down. Is that, you know, what is that driven by? Is that driven by you know, demographics? Is it driven by the economy, a mix of everything? It's uh, mainly driven by the economy. It's the slowdown that we are going to see in consumption, the business investments. Uh, certainly the trade issues are not helping mm -hmm. uh, because at the end of the day, then the investors are going to pull back. It's kind of a vicious cycle too because if the investors are not going to have the confidence that the economy is going to be doing well in the next couple of years, they're going to pull back. And then the consumers on that side is going to hold back on their big big ticket items. So this is kind of a, you know, in the news and a what, what makes us confident in the economy, right? Mm -hmm. So I've uh, talked to so many realtors and builders and, you know, it's like they're saying, you know, people are getting cold feet. They, they find a house and they want to put an offer and they get cold feet and then they pull back. And so it's, it's, a, it's a very, I think, combination of issues right now. That's why we are seeing. And also, it is not unusual to. We are at our longest expansion in history, so the slowdown is kind of an inevitable thing too. Sure, and, and let me ask you, I mean, this is, as you just said, this is the longest expansion we've seen. The expansion prior to this was the longest expansion before that. What is leading to kind of the greater stabilization? Obviously the growth in the last few years has not been 
as ramped up as we may have seen during the go-go 80s. But what, you know, what has changed that's allowed our expansions to last longer and, and be more smooth? The, the, before this, the longest expansion was in actually the 1990s. That was the longest. And the reason is the expansion might be longer, but you can see that the growth rates are not as strong as right. what we've seen before the recession. The reason is for that, the GDP was really high in the 80s, 90s. That was because women entered the labor force. So that, is the, that was the main reason. But right now, women are in the labor force. They make almost half of the labor force right now. So we, it's not unusual that we're actually seeing slower growths. But we are actually like, you know, this, this expansion has been sustained by, you know, last year's tax reform, too. That kind of really boosted last year. Now we are seeing um, coming towards the tail end of that. But um, maybe, you know, the demographics are changing as well. That's another reason that the millennials are the largest group of uh, population right now. So they are now coming into the years where they're actually going to buy a house and they're going to be like ready to spend, hopefully spend the money that they don't have to spend on student loans. Um, coming into like, you know, more big ticket items, so consumption. But that being said, we do anticipate uh, in the, the reduction in consumption in the next couple of years. And specifically, I'm sure you work with and talk with a lot of builders that are out there. And this is a tough question because there's small builders, there's remodelers, there's you know giant publicly traded home builders. What's the mentality of the builder uh, in today's world? Are you seeing that they're starting to pull back on land purchases and, and land deals and they're maybe starting to stock some cash away? Or are they still continuing to plow and reinvest back in their businesses like, uh, like they were a few years ago? It depends on where I am. Um, I was in early in early this year in like um, uh, Asheville. Like there's no slowdown there. I was in Raleigh. La Raleigh is just booming. There's no kind of end in sight for them. They can't even keep up with the projects. And I was in West Palm Beach in Florida, and they're actually now going to repurpose essentially golf courses. They're buying them and developing them because there's a huge demand. But I was also in Ohio, uh, where the builders there are struggling. Uh, because, you know, it's the Midwest as a region. So it is very, very regional where you are. But uh, that being said, even in North Carolina, um, areas like Wilmington, you know, it's a more aging population. There's not much young people are in that area. So their housing market is actually still, you know, just lagging behind if you compare to a place like Raleigh. So it's very different sentiments of where you are from. And when I was even presenting at IBS earlier this year, like I talked a lot of remodelers. And they What's IBS? Oh, I'm sorry, it's the International Builder Show in Las Vegas. Um, they don't see the slowdown that we see at the national level. They're very local. They're saying to me that they can't even keep up with the projects. They have so much work. But at the national level, we look at the numbers, we see the slowdown. So we were talking earlier about some from a prep perspective, you know, two questions, I guess, for you. You know, what are some of the more important data points that you that you look at or you think that realtors should be looking at? And the second part of that question is, what are some data points that people look at commonly that really have no impact? You know, that they, they clutters up the stream, if you will. I think um, something that people really, like, you know, uh, the CPI, that's the inflation rate. You know, people pay attention to that. It's in the headline news. And... Uh, Okay, inflation has been around 2%, less than 2% for the last few years because the Fed always mentions that every month, essentially. 
Um, I don't think people are going to really care that much unless these trade issues get so escalated, the fact that all the toys and everything's going to get really expensive. Um, but um, that might not happen if the if Trump can bring China back to the table and talk about these issues. But what do what we do pay attention is the job creations. It is if you have a job, if you can create jobs in your area, that means that you know people are going to need more homes, more schools, and the, the money needs to get invested in this area. So um, job creation is the biggest thing that we look at, job, labor market. And um, other than that, you know, and on a housing perspective, it is permits, the issuing of permits, and uh, essentially the survey of construction, the data, the, the survey that they put out by the Census Bureau. Um, the housing starts, which regions are doing better, which regions are lagging behind, then they do the permits as well. Then just to see like, you know, the data that they, so we pay a lot of attention to the housing starts and new home sales data. Danusha, let me ask you, because you, you mentioned job creation. Obviously they're very interrelated, but is it more important in a community to have a low unemployment rate or to have new job creation? Is it, are they, how closely tied are they, and in, in, is it is it always the same importance level or, or different? I think job creation is more important because unemployment rate, it doesn't really capture everybody who's unemployed in the area. It just captures people who are actively Actually looking working. for the looking for a job in a time, specific time period. Um, that's called the U um, six rate. And and does does job creation tend to then? kind of alleviate some of the underemployment questions? Is that one of the, uh, I mean, is that part of the importance of the new job creation? Yes, because it actually, you know, if, if you're like underemployed, then you're able to actually move around, find a better job. And if you are only part-time, and if you want a full-time job, and if there's new jobs in the area, people can actually migrate um, between jobs easily. That's why I pay attention to job creation as opposed to the unemployment rate. Is the number of people who are choosing to not look for look for work is that increased, decreased, stable? Uh, long term uh, unemployed. Mm -hmm. So that is the uh, the long, that the Bureau of Labor Statistics measures that too, and that has also been steadily going down, but um, it is much higher than the unemployment rate that we pay, we kind of talk about on a monthly uh, basis. From a, from a labor perspective, you know, we, we, well, when we're talking about construction, we're always talking about labor, immigration. But where, I mean, again, you may, may not have an insight into this, but from a long-term labor perspective, do you all talk about automation and robots coming into the construction trades? We talk about that in a more modular construction and panelized construction where you can get productivity gains. Uh, other than that, Productivity is lagging in the construction sector. You know, overall economy since the 1990s, um, productivity has been up like 30%. But in construction, it's only been up 3%. So it's like... Say that again? So the productivity for the overall economy has been up 30% since the 1990s. But in construction trade, it's only up 3%. So we do have to get... Uh, well, which which makes sense. I mean, houses are built the same way that they have been built for years. Mm -hmm. You you bring in a fa framing crew and you stick build a house. Whereas, if when we look at some of the larger construction operations that are doing SIPs construction or other panelized modular piece, you can do it in a factory where you have much higher productivity. But this seems like a remarkable opportunity to ha to increase efficiency. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. But 
um, the, the market share for Marjula and Panalize is like less than 4%. But is, is that a shipping and transportation issue more than it is labor? I think it's also the stigma. Right. Um, I was going to say, po po politically, they, people don't want that. Yes. Except, except we have so many builders, even in the Charlottesville market, we have plenty of people who are doing SIPs construction or, or panelized construction. It may not be the full-blown modular that, that some of... I mean, here's the reality is that you look back over the last century, the people have been trying to do kit houses going back. I mean, the Sears Craftsman Home of the 1920s, it was you know one of the original kit homes, or I guess they were not the original, but there were several companies out there at that time. That just hasn't taken off, but we're seeing more and more construction operations using regional you know, firms to put together their, their side panels, their walls. I mean, that's, that is increasing. We're just not seeing it everywhere yet. Yeah, I think uh, we think that the Pacific region, um, because, you know, because of the constraints that they have, mm -hmm. is actually much more uh, higher than the rest of the country. Uh, we think that the, the growth can be in that area. But right now, you know, we don't really see much, like a bigger market share increasing in the, in the near future. Interesting. Excuse me. Interesting. That's, um, you know, clearly there's a, in every industry, real estate or, or, uh, or housing, uh, or, you know, housing or new construction, uh, remodeling, there's always kind of pressures right now on innovation and kind of pushing forward. So clearly it sounds like the home building and remodeling industry has a challenge at its hand and they're not being quite as efficient as they, as they could be. What other challenges, big challenges are out there? that these builders are looking at on a regular basis? You know, and obviously we've got labor and materials and zoning and things like that. What are the, what are the big challenges that you're seeing that, that, uh, that are affecting the industry? The biggest is labor. Labor is the biggest issue because, you know, right now we have like over 350,000 jobs open in construction. So, it's, and... On a nationwide basis. Uh, yes. Um, Not here. the country. Well, but it could have been state or how how broad of a region, but but three hundred fifty thousand open positions that, in construction. that general contractors would say they're looking to fill at any yes. given moment. That includes residential and non-residential. Wow. Yes. So how does that get solved? Uh, that's the problem, yeah. and the issues. The reason being, you know, the biggest thing is the fact that you know it's an aging labor force right now. Uh, the median age for a construction worker is like in the forties, so young people are not coming into the trade. So at the local level, you need to encourage these young people to <coughs> go to trade schools and, you know, like kind of tell them that, you know, construction is actually a, can be a lucrative career too. And so after the Great Recession, many just left the labor force for good. They're like completely discouraged. And women in construction is only 9% uh, when women make up almost half the labor force. And the final thing is that the immigration crackdown has also kind of choked off new labor supply. So these are the issues that um, will take a while to get solved. So that's why we think that labor is the biggest issue that the construction side fails. And then that obviously leads to you know shortage of production and rising housing costs. Is that, yes, is that right? Because it'll push up the labor costs. Right. So, and then the building material. Um, component has also increased up 9% since 2017, um, and that is just all building materials. Uh, regulatory fees as a big issue at the uh, local level too. It's almost a quarter of a, the share of a home price right now, so, which is really expensive. And how do you, how do you calculate that? 
This is actually done uh, with the Itina Housing Policy Group. They actually do the calculations and have all the data. So at the national level, we have the numbers. Um, and then we kind of did partnered with the uh, multifamily association and did the, that's why the, the share of the cost for a multifamily development is actually even more than a, a single family. It's at 32% average. It's because of regulatory fees. And that regulation fee, is that part of, is that, that's going through zoning, that's, you know, hiring people, hiring? All the codes do everything. 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 To, to kind of, wow, that's. I mean, if you could see, I mean, it's, it's a, a podcast so you can't see, but the, the looks on our faces around the table are kind of, we're all incredulous at the numbers are being thrown out here. I mean, it, it's, the regulatory costs are a phenomenal number. Yes. Oof. How do we fix that? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk to the politicians. Yeah. yeah, right. That's the way to go. I mean, on the. On the labor force, I mean, I, you know, it's it's something I've got a 15-year-old daughter. I'm, you know, I, I wouldn't mind if she went into construction because I think it's a – the concept of, of, of having a career where you start at eight seven or 8 o'clock and you finish at 2 or 3 kind of sounds amazing. Um, you know, you can make a, you know, a real career out of that. Is that – do you have any sense as to whether that's an American trend or is that worldwide where the labor, labor around the world is diminishing? Uh, we haven't looked at the worldwide, okay. but – you know, when we look at the education levels too, now more people are going to traditional four-year colleges. So I think that is a trend across the world too, because um, we are part of the International Housing Association. And when we get together and talk about the issues, it is remarkably very, very similar. We all face the same challenges. So labor is also one of their things that, you know, how do you bring in more people to actually build these homes? So um, we haven't looked at the numbers specifically, but... Um, but I know from this conversation that this is an issue that we we are very like you know it's very common for a lot of the developed countries too. And I think one of the other interesting pieces, and you said it just a moment ago, with that many people left the the construction workforce when the Great Recession happened. And I think there's such volatility and always has been within the general construction business that lots of people find themselves laid off when there's when there's any movement of recession. It's one of the most quickly, you know, impacted areas. And I think that is a hard thing as a 20, 30-year-old to kind of get your hands on that I'm going to be in this job and there may be a shortage period where the work is is wanting. Absolutely. I mean, speaking from personal experience, I graduated right at the recession and I know how difficult it was to find a job. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. and it terrifies me if I have to be in a job where, you know what, I might get laid off. Um, in a few years if the economy is not doing well. Right. That is a risk that I'm not willing to take. Do you think that still is much of a concern with the fact there's 350,000 jobs that are were short, so maybe it takes longer to get to the point where our current uh, labor force in construction is, is laid off, or do you think that that's not, not the case? I don't think that's the case simply because of the shortage in labor. Uh, it's just, like, you know, it's just... Rem it's just probably going to be like, you know, where is this shortage of labor, right? In which region? And if it's in the Midwest, um, people could get laid off much quicker than somebody in the South or the West, so. Shifting topics to a bit, you know, looking at the zoning, like we were talking earlier about how Minneapolis has, has gotten rid of or they're discouraging single family zoning and Portland or Oregon. 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 You know, is that, are those the only two places that are doing it? Is it, do you, is that, is that a good thing, a bad thing? That's the only place that I've heard of in the news okay. that Oregon is very, very strict with mm -hmm. their zoning. But I know for a fact that even Washington State is very, 
strict about that. I know when I was in a meeting with the single family builders, they're saying one county, you know, with their sprinkler system is completely different to the next county. So regulatory fees is a real issue. When we had the uh, uh, home building association meetings, these are like the biggest issues for them because, you know, like, you know, builders build across the state. Right. And if one county is much strict than the other county, you know, where do they go? Where do they build? Yeah, there's, so, there's a negative incentive to work with that county. Yes. Absolutely. Well, we have, you know, off topic a little bit, we've got issues where we are in 12 markets right now and dealing with multiple MLSs in every market. And just the, you know, the, the, the resources it takes for us to expand our operations into a new market with a different MLS and different rules and a different data feed and different processes and different fee structures. Um, it's amazing. I mean, it's, it's months for us to, to get up and running in a new market. So the inefficiencies are definitely there. You know, we, we see them from in our business too. So quick side note, just, just wondering, I mean, and to that, to the question that Jim was bringing up of, of kind of the, the regular, the availability of homes and the shortage of, of contractors right now, do you guys track, is there a way to track kind of what your average membership has in terms of outstanding contracts and how far home builders are out? ahead of, of their contract curve, if you will. I mean, we have, we have builders here who will be signing contracts to deliver homes 12 to 15 months down the road. And, and a lot of that is shortages of, of labor. They know what their maximum capacity is. Do you guys track that at all in terms of how far out those contracts are written? No, I'm not really familiar with that. Then we should take the last minute out of it. No, I mean, I, 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 we might, might take it out, but I remember when, when the just actually after the crash, a local home builder was... was he was writing contracts 15, 18 months out. Right. And after the crash, his sales rep said, when we were doing that, I knew there was a problem. Mm. If you, I mean, if you're projecting out that you're going to be still stable in 18 months, which right. a, lot, I think a lot of people can't right. do. Financing can fall through. A lot of, a lot of details can fall through. Labor, I mean, labor costs go up and construction costs go up. I mean, someone's going to eat that cost. Going back to this, this like, lo, every, you know, everything's local concept, I'd love to get some just insight from you and your team about how you how you pull and compile data points like housing starts and housing permits like can you can you like where that raw data comes where from where that data comes from and what's the process of that i'd love Mainly to hear it about comes that. from census okay. census does a great job of doing all these surveys and permits is the biggest driver so when we um, do the forecast for housing starts and that's one of the biggest things we look at. Then we look at household formations, we look at employment, we look at population in the area. So we bring all of these things together from the different uh, government sources and put it into our model essentially. And then we kind of, and also there needs to be intuition too, uh, to kind of get a sense of like what we think is um, honestly happening. So we kind of tweak the model a little bit um, especially when it, we think that, you know, um, uh, the monetary policy, Fed rate cuts, it's always a guess what they're going to do until they actually have the meeting. And when we build it into the model, we kind of like really kind of read a lot of news, see what's happening. And we're like, okay, we think next week it's going to happen. We think October is a possibility. We think maybe the first quarter is a possibility. So we'll, we build that into the model. And you know what? Sometimes we are right, sometimes we are not. So that's why we go back and kind of redo the forecast again next month. We might have to cut this. Um, has it gotten harder for you to do your job in the last 12, 18 months 
with a lack of uncertainty as with each day being different absolutely it's yeah. been really hard because last year when we were running the forecast we thought there's going to be more rate increases this year so if you look at our forecast last year we actually built in rate increases and we thought the mortgage rate was going to be around five and a half five to five and a half but look at it now this week the Freddie uh, the 30-year mortgage is at 3.5 percent so it is a learning process uh, we are continuously changing our model because of everything that's around us. We pay attention to the news. We pay attention to what's going on in the stock market. So well, what, I will what, say just what, early, early I mean, on. I want this one because what happens if the census data gets corrupted? I mean, you know, if it's if it's not as accurate as we as, as it's been the last. So the census years. actually goes back and revises data too. What if they don't? They do. They. <laughs> you mean historically they have? They, yeah. yeah, they have. Yes. Yeah. So like prime example is when the government was shut down earlier this year. So we had to run the forecast with all data, essentially. And that was a huge challenge for us to kind of we didn't have uh, the, the most recent starts numbers. So it's always intuition. And yeah, it's a, it's a challenge for sure. So early on in this conversation, you had said that last the, the last long sustained growth in part was due to women entering the workforce. And there were other kind of I'll call them natural causes that were just demographically driven or, or other business driven, whereas the current one, the current expansion has been driven in part recently, at least by the tax reform. We're now seeing it, as you, as you just said, you all had predicted a year ago that we'd be in the five and a half range. We're 2% below that right now. Um, you also said that there's a chance that the Fed will lower rates yet again. How much of our current sustained growth is due to kind of forced effect of government versus the natural, this really is a growth period that we're in and not just continued intervention to insist upon a, a growth that, that may not really be deserved, if you will. So before the new tax law came in, uh, we thought that the slowdown was going to happen this year and end of last year, kind of, you know, kind of coming to the tail end of the expansion. Then the tax law got passed. That really boosted uh, the business investments and that made it like 2018 to be a very strong year. And now we're like, okay, 2019, people are going to file the taxes. You know, they've been filing taxes for the first time with the new tax law. And now we are like, okay, we're now coming to the end. So it's always like, uh, yes, it was kind of boosted by the tax reform. Yeah. And I don't think, I mean, you don't foresee anything like that coming, happening to boost it again in the next year or so. Except for artificially low interest rates that, you know, we're seeing negative interest rates in Denmark and... Yes. Right. I mean, but these are things that are absolutely happening in their government intervention for doing well, so. Well, we don't anticipate the Fed to uh, do, do negative interest rates like... So, so what we're saying is two things. One, is, is this a, sort of a sugar rush for, the, for our economy, sort of forced? And two, I'm glad that I tell my clients when they ask me, how's the market? I say, I'll tell you in 18 months. I don't envy what you do. Yeah, it is, it's definitely a challenge. I mean, uh, right now, yes, the Fed is trying to keep the, sustaining the expansion and not let it really slow, come to a halt. That's why the Fed is reacting really quickly. Um, especially because, you know, the earlier last year, earlier this year and end of last year, the consumer confidence went kind of dipped really low. And, you know, the Fed was holding the rate steady. July, they did the first cut. We anticipate one next week. So, yes, the Fed is being supportive 
of the expansion. I think they did realize they do realize now they can't increase the rates because that would really bring the expansion to a halt, essentially. Which is bad. <laughs> I just I, 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 I don't say think this is I don't think that this is necessarily a bad thing. I think as we started I think a this halt in, is bad. We started this entire conversation with this is a natural ebb and flow of a business cycle and of the national growth. The reality is we cannot just say, oh, we don't want to see a, an expansion come to an end. Therefore, we will make interest rates for housing 3.5%. The reality is this is going to impact every single purchasing decision for everybody who owns a home, who has a 3.5% rate, who can never move again in the future. When we're at 7.5% interest rates, you're not going to have people taking equity out because there's not going to be equity to be taken You're out. making this all sound really bad. I, I, I think <laughs> we've run the course. but. I, <laughs> Speaking of impacting, I, I'd say that, you know, just for me, it's amazing the amount of data and variables and information that you and your team are digesting on a regular basis. And really, the, the, the forecast that you're making and, and the information that you're putting out there has huge impacts and how many hundreds of millions of dollars are invested in, in the economy. And so, I mean, it's really, um, we, you know, it's, it's really just, I mean, we, would, we admire what, you, what you're doing. So kudos to you. That being said, you know, you deal with a lot of details and this podcast is Sweat the Details. So what's one detail that you and your team are really intently focused on on a regular basis, whether it's a statistic or whether it's something that, you're, that you can work with within your team? But I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I think the biggest issue that we are actually focused on is affordability. That across the board, across the country, you know, that is an issue. I mean, I live in Washington, D.C., metro area, and I'm in the market to buy a house right now. And I'm just flabbergasted, like, how much, like, expensive it is there. And for, you know, for most people who has good incomes, and if they can't afford a home, I think there's something really sad, like, you know, really upsetting about that, right? I mean, you, everybody, people are on it, go to college, get a job, and they still cannot if they can't move out of their parents' basements and build, get married and have children and get a, buy a house. I think affordability is the biggest thing. We do actually track it at the national level. And right now, you know, it's like half the housing stock is affordable to somebody who's making the median um, income at the local levels. It is like, it is a staggering figure, right? So it's like, how do we make these homes more affordable? It's a question that we continue to um, ask, and it's, there's no easy answers to that. You know, in regions such as the West, like San Francisco, like if you're making $120,000, you are at the poverty level, <laughs> which is crazy. And then people uh, in that area, it's like, you know, they might have to be renting, lifetime renters, and not be able to afford a house there. So affordability is, I think, the biggest uh, thing that we actually really focus on uh, this year and in the next few years too. Cool. Well, I'll say um, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been a phenomenal conversation. Really enjoyed it. Depressed me a little bit, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's it, it, I learned an immense amount, so thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Danushka. Appreciate it. Thank you.